Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, this morning, um, desperate for your presence to continue to to go with us. Thank you for meeting us in living rooms and spaces um, as we sing songs um, about you, uh, to you. Um, And Lord, I pray that these songs that we just sang might continue to resonate in our minds and in our hearts, uh, even through this teaching, even as we peer into your word. May may your word even give light and reality uh, to uh, the songs and the lyrics that we just sang. but I'm reminded, Lord, of the, the song we, we, we did sing this morning, uh, that we long for your presence to come. We long for you to return again, uh, Lord, to make all things right, to set things all, all, all as, as they should be, uh, Lord, to, to right the brokenness, to bring ultimate uh, justice uh, to the world that you uh, created. But, Lord, until then, uh, create in us a heart uh, that longs to know you more and seek you more faithfully. It's for your glory we do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. So glad that you are uh, joining us again. Uh, just a, a few announcements for you as, as we start. Uh, like Sam mentioned last week, uh, we are planning uh, several gatherings throughout August. Uh, you'll be receiving, if you haven't already, uh, communication on those, when they are, uh, what's going on. But just want to highlight one of those uh, for next Sunday. Uh, we're throwing what's going to be called a, a family reunion uh, on, on the 16th, Sunday the 16th. And it's going to be an incredible time for us just to gather again uh, outside. It's at a familiar place for our church, uh, the Rosemary Barn, just, just north uh, here in North McKinney. Um, for us just to, to, to pray together, to, to worship, to have fellowship, ha- have some food. Uh, there's something really spiritual about eating together, and so we're going to do that. We're going to have a, a meal together. It's going to be a really great time. And so next Sunday, you'll want to gather uh, with us, make plans. Um, if you're not comfortable with that, we're going to still be doing online service and all those things as well. Uh, but we want to challenge you. This is going to be outside. It's going to be a, a safe environment for you to bring uh, your family and, 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 and just come and, and be together because we need to uh, be together. We know how um, just desperate we are to uh, gather again, and we're planning and plotting how to do that wisely and how to do that consistently coming up. And, and uh, just we're in a unique challenge uh, uh, because of the uh, facilities that, that we utilize, the city buildings and things like that. It's not like we, we own a, a church facility that we can just kind of unlock the building and, and, and come in and do those things. And so it takes us a little bit longer. And so we appreciate your, your, your grace in that. We appreciate you uh, walking faithfully with us through, through that journey. And we'll keep you up to speed on, on how those things are uh, moving forward. But wanted to highlight again the shared practices this has been an incredible practice this past week with the scripture before screens, and uh, we hope you've placed this somewhere prominent in your house where you can see it, uh, but want to remind you of this week's practice, and this week's practice is, week two here, uh, worship uh, with others, and so we, we want to encourage you to get into small groups of friends or family uh, on, on Sunday particularly. And so if you're going to join us out at Rosemary Barn for our family reunion, uh, that's a great opportunity, right? That, that's going to that's gonna be us getting together. But if you're not able to join us for whatever reason or you're not comfortable doing that, here's what we would like to challenge you. Get together with people who you are comfortable uh, worshiping the Lord with, singing, praying, listen to uh, the, the sermon together, and, and just worship God gathered together. The Bible is very clear that we shouldn't neglect gathering together, and, and that's not just talking about Sunday mornings, even though our hearts long to be gathered on Sunday mornings, and it does speak about Sunday mornings uh, as well, but 
It's talking about gathering in two or three or four or, or a couple of families. And, and the Bible says that, that there, when we gather like that, he is present in our midst. And so we want to encourage you this week as a shared practice, what we're going to be doing collectively is getting together intentionally and worshiping and praying together. And we're going to see the power of God move. I, I, I just, I, I know that. And so I've been encouraged uh, even this week talking with someone who says, hey, they, they've been throughout this kind of COVID season, they've been getting together with friends and family in their neighborhood and just watching the service, worshiping together, singing. And, and they talked about how, how much joy that was and how much life it's really brought to, to them. So we want to encourage you. That's our shared practice uh, for this week. If you didn't get a card like this, you can check out our website, theparkschurch.com slash shared practice, and you can see all of them. And also there, you'll see a fuller explanation of each practice. But this has been so, so good for our church. So uh, participate with us. Uh, in that. All right, so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalm. We're in a, a summer series on selected Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 80 this morning. Psalm 80 this morning, and we have, uh, we have covered different types of Psalms, right? Uh, Psalms of Ascent, we've co covered a couple of those. We, we come this morning to a different Psalm than we've covered uh, before. This is, this is known as a Psalm of Lament, and, and, and a Psalm of Lament is one that is, uh, is, is, is a picture of someone pouring out their heart honestly before God. And so sometimes in the Psalms, what you'll find with the Psalms of Lament are that they are very individual. They are very uh, uh, personal, if you will. And other times, like what we're going to see here in Psalm 80, is that there are these corporate Psalms of Lament, where it is meant to be a song or a prayer saying corporately to uh, the Lord. And so just a little context for Psalm 80 and why I think it's absolutely uh, so relevant for wh where we are, uh, we find the people of God, the Israelites, um, suffering, suffering under the aggression of an enemy. Uh, they have been brought to a very uh, low place, a desperate place, and they feel uh, the uniqueness of, of needing God's presence more than anything else. They feel that God is absent from them, that he has left them, that he has gone away from them. They feel uniquely that need for God in their lives corporately. And listen, God, as Psalm 80 tells us, God is the one who has brought them to this place, right? And, and listen, when we walk through these, these times in our lives, these, these, these dark valleys and these, these, these dark areas of our lives, it is the Lord in his gracious mercy walking with us through those times so that we might see and sense our utter need for him and create in us a dependence like never before. Many of you are experiencing this. Uh, most of you have experienced this at some point in your life that you feel a great need of God in particular moments. You see, the people of God here, um, this is a, a storm, if you will, of correction. There are two kinds of storms that God brings when, when we feel this, this, this utter uh, dependence, this longing for, for more of God. There, there's this storm of correction, which we're seeing here in uh, Psalm 80, and then there's also this storm of perfection. 
You see, the storm of correction is because the Lord is correcting us or it's a result of, of sinful disobedience in our lives. That's what we see resulting here in God's people in Psalm 80. And then there are these storms of perfection where God is taking us through these seasons and these things to perfect in us uh, something that can't come otherwise other than these trials and these, the, these struggles and these sufferings. Think uh, of Job, right? Th- there, there was nothing that Job did in direct disobedience or sinfulness toward God. God to cause what God or what God allowed for him to walk through, okay? That would be a storm of perfection. I was talking with the, the staff even this week, and we were talking about Hezekiah in, in the Word of God, how it says that God hid his face so that it might reveal what was in Hezekiah's heart. It wasn't a response to anything sinful Hezekiah had done, but it was God's graciousness to show Hezekiah what was really there in his heart, to show him uh, the the beauty and the majesty of God again. And so uh, we come to this, this storm, and so hear me, this is a storm of correction. And not all storms in your life are because of of sinful disobedience, but there are some, there are some of these moments uh, that we walk through because we we haven't been faithful, because we are, 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 are walking in disobedience, and the Lord is gracious to awaken us to that. And in Hebrews says that, that, that God disciplines those that he loves. He, he corrects, right, those whom are his children, the sons and daughters. And so we shouldn't fear correction. Rather, we should see it for what it is. It's our loving father drawing us and wooing us back to him. And so Psalm 80, a psalm of lament, is really a prayer for a, an awakening, a prayer for a, a reviving, a prayer for a, as we've used a lot of times, a renewal. And there is a constant refrain, if you have your Bible open, in four verses that's used after each segment. And it's this, in verse 3, in verse 7, in verse 14, in verse 19. Look at them. Verse 3, restore us, O God. Verse 7, restore us, O God. Verse 14, turn again, O God. In verse 19, the last verse of the the chapter, restore us, O God. So that is what the people of God are longing and asking God to to do, and that's restore. Now, this word restore is very important for us to understand. The word restore, as it's written here, and you maybe see it at the footnote of your Bible, it means turn us again. Turn us back to you again, God. And so that should give us a clue what the gist of this passage is about or the problem here. It's not that God has turned away from them. It's that they have turned away from God. And now the lament and the cry is this, God, we've turned away from you. And the reason we are in this low, desperate place is because we have turned away from you to our sin. God, here is our plea. Turn us back to you. Bring us back home. Return us to yourself. We want you again. We want to be revived. We want to be awakened. We want revival in our lives again. Now, listen, the word revival scares some of you, and it gets some of you really, really excited. Here's what I mean by revival or renewal or, or awakening is this, is a heightened awareness of God's presence in your life. It is not a manufactured thing. It is a manifested thing by God himself. And so 
We are not talking in Psalm 80 about the assumed presence of God. Two weeks ago, I talked about the presence of God, that the presence of God is everywhere, and that is true. The presence of God is here in this room. The presence of God is in your living room. However, what we're talking about here in terms of renewal, awakening, revival, is is the experience of God's presence manifested itself in action and power in their midst. That's what they're asking for. You see, this is when we experience the presence of God in our midst or in our church, and what we see is supernatural breakthrough. We see salvations. We see release from bondage and sin. We see peace. We see, we see boldness. We see things that only God can bring about. You see, this is and always will be the great need of the church, that the presence of God would be, would be there in a real powerful way. This is what Psalm 80 is leading us toward, right? And it's going to confront us, and it's going to ask us this question. Do you, do you, Parks Church, do you want this? Do you really want an awakening? Do you really long for a reviving and a renewal? You see, are we pleading for God to awaken us to something fresh and real and new Something felt and experienced, not something foreign. See, I'm convinced of this, that that, that God is absolutely willing. But the real question we have to answer is, are we wanting it? You see, if we are ever going to call out for God to do this kind of work in reviving, then we must start where Psalm 80 starts, with our neediness with our need for the presence of God. What caused them, what caused the people of God in Psalm 80 to see their neediness? What caused them them to see their neediness was that they realized what they had lost. They realized there were these losses in their life. And let me tell you that the consequence of sin in your life, believer, is always loss. You see, Psalm 80 is written from the people of God. We could say it was written to even us as believers, if you're a believer peering in and watching this. The consequence of sin is always loss. It's always death to relationships. It's always death to to things in your life. Sin will never lift you up. If there's a perceived lifting up by sin, it is simply for the fact that it will drop you. That is what sin does. And so I want to peer in and see what is it exactly in Psalm 80 that they're lamenting that they've lost. There's three things that we're going to go through quickly. And the first thing is this in verse 1. It says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Do you hear their desperation? You see, what they're acknowledging is their neediness right here out of the gate in verses one and two. And the first thing they acknowledge that they have lost is the sense of God's presence. Again, we're not talking about his, his, his omnipresence, his, his everywhere kind of presence. Like they probably realize that, but they're talking about the experienced presence, God in action in their midst. And they use these words like, like, like you, you are enthroned, you're, you are this shepherd, you, you, you shine forth like this cherubim, you're, you're this sun. We know that's who you are, but we're not experiencing that, right? What good is a hidden sun? 
If it doesn't heat us up, if it doesn't give us light, they're going, that's what we experience right now, is that we've lost your presence. They're like, you're a shepherd, but you're a distant shepherd. What good is a distant shepherd if he's not close to his sheep? They're like, God, we, we know that you are powerful, but it seems like your power is dormant. Why are they experiencing this loss? Because God is absent because God is not willing? No, because of sin and before their lack of wanting God to be present. You see, God never abandons his people. Hear me say that. God never leaves you nor forsakes you, but there is moments where his active presence distanced itself from us because there is sin and unrepentant sin, where there is disobedience, and that is what they are experiencing here and lamenting in Psalm 80 about. However, they now see their need. They miss the presence of God that they have enjoyed before. Like I think we, we all get, maybe even more uniquely in this season, we all understand uh, this idea of missing someone or something. But I want to ask you a question here, and we're going to pause. Have you ever missed the presence of God? Have you ever missed the presence of God? And so I want us to pause the video and answer this question. Um, and why? And why recognizing our neediness is the first step in encountering God's presence. So have you ever missed his presence? And then why is seeing our neediness the first step in pursuing God's presence and experiencing it? And then we'll jump back into the text. Okay, so, so we see a loss here at the beginning in, in Psalm 80. The second thing that we see in a loss is, is found in verse four. And I want you to read, read this with me. It says, O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. Whoa. He's like, they're lamenting, going, God, how long will you be angry with our prayers? Lord, we've been, we've been eating on what's feeding us is our tears. And so not only is there a lack of or a loss of God's presence resulting from disobedience, but now there is a loss of joy that even in their prayers that they were all form in, in no substance, that their offerings, their sacrifice, God did not find pleasing. They were hypocritical, right? They were doing all the right Things. However, their heart was detached from God. They had the form, but there was no real substance and no real abiding relationship with the Father. See, so think the point here in Psalm 80, in these two verses, verse 4 and verse 5, is this that, that the people of God were treating God as useful and not treasuring God as unique. And so in turn, they lost their joy, the joy that comes from salvation that we have with the Father because of Christ. And so their prayers, they're going, God, you're angry even when we pray that our tears are streaming down our face. You see, they had the right duty and activity, but they had lost the heart of delight before the Father, that they were treating him as useful and not treasuring him as unique. You see, this is an error that we fall into, that I fall into all the time. You see, treating God as useful looks like God helping me to accomplish X, right? Wh whatever that is. 
God, God getting me to my destiny, God, 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 God going with me to uh, this thing or, or, or that thing so that really in turn it might build me up. Like that's treating God as useful, right? I, like for, for some of you, you treat God useful because you compartmentalize him in certain areas of, of your life. And if you're honest, when we talk about whole life discipleship, when we talk about whole life surrender, that God invades and pervades every fiber and every area and every facet of your life, it really makes you nervous. You see, you want God in this area, in that area, because God is useful to you in those areas. You're okay in those, but it, when you begin to, to creep over into these, he's not allowed. Listen, that is not understanding who God is. That's treating him as useful. That's not treasuring him as unique. A people who treasure God as unique approach him and come before him as he calls us to. As he says, draw near to me in fear, in trembling, seeing that this God is unlike anyone else in anything else in the planet, that seeing his glory and his holiness, we are drawn to him because of his beauty, not what he provides for us, Right? that we have to stop treating God like a useful tool, like something in our garage that helps us get the job done. He is altogether unique and altogether to be treated as who he is, the creator, the God of the universe, the God who transcends all things and all peoples. To be treated as Jesus, like he, he builds out in the parable with the field, that there's a treasure buried in that field and you know that treasure, what, what, what do you do to get that treasure and to acquire that field? You sell everything. You get rid of everything to acquire that treasure, to know him and to have him. Is that how you live your life? Is that how you treat your relationship with God? What we see out of the people of God from Psalm 80 is they are lamenting because they're going, we have lost the joy, we have the form but we have lost the abiding joy that comes from an active relationship with our Father. I love what Mark Sayers says in one of his, his books. He talks about what we need as a people of God is this convergence. Because listen to me, form is not bad. Good, right? Form is not bad, right? These practices, these spiritual disciplines, the things that the Word of God calls us to participate in and do. However, Form detached, what he calls form detached from fire or the presence of God or the spirit of God or the delight of God is, 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 is never going to lead us to the place that God calls us to go in terms of renewal and revival and awakening. What we need is the right form. We need the instruction of the word of God and we need the spirit of God igniting our lives. And those two things that Sayers paints is like two wings on a bird. If we really want to see God, awaken our lives, awaken our church, bring us to this place of renewal and revival. We need the active presence of God, the fire, and yes, we need the form. And so again, I, I want to pause here, and I want to ask you the question. I, I want you to really dialogue. I want you to really think about this. Are you just simply going through the motions with no active relationship with the Lord, no true abiding relationship with God? And, and it if you're being honest, you've already felt it, and you know the consequences to that. And so a dialogue on this question about what the difference is between treating God as useful and treating him or treasuring him as unique, and when have you fallen into this trap? And then we'll get right back to the text to, to close out.
All right, so, so let, let's close here. So, so we have a lament because there's an awareness that they have lost this active presence of God. There's this loss of joy. And now the third thing we see, and this is really verses um, six through, through 18. This is where the, the nation of God understands their loss of, of spiritual power. And so let, let me read verse six uh, for us. It says, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. So we just heard crying, we're crying, and our enemies are laughing. Notice that contrast. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. Here's what I want you to see in, in those verses. That verses 8, really, through 13, this is what God wanted for Israel, what he wanted them to be to the rest of the nations. Right? Our God has a heart for all nations. From Genesis to Revelation, talks about him being a God for all nations. Even in the Psalms, he talks about his heart for the nations. But his plan is to use Israel to be that blessing, to be that shade. Did you get that? To be that, that, that instrument of justice and goodness so that other nations might see and worship the one true God. It's like in Exodus uh, 12 when, when God shows up in power, when he shows up in might. It says that a mixed multitude of them left Egypt with the Israelites. And so God's heart for the nations is something that is central in all things. However, in Psalm 80, what they're re realizing is this, is that they have lost the spiritual power or the impact to be the witness that God has called them to be to all nations. And so, listen, when I say spiritual power, do not equate it with power, maybe like you're thinking about um, in terms of a worldly definition, you see, a spiritual power is one that is embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ, one that's embodied in, in, in sacrifice, in loving people more than you love yourself, in, in, in justice and in care and mercy, right? In, in, in caring for the, the orphan and the widow, laying your life down. That is spiritual power. You see, they have lost this spiritual power because they have chosen to go their own way, right? That's what sin is. We have chosen something better than God and pursued it, right? And so what they are saying, what they're lamenting in these verses is that, Lord, we have lost this powerful, effective witness of who you are. Restore us. Turn us back to yourself. Here's what I want us to see, church, that in the New Testament, Jesus even tells us in, in things like Luke 11, where he brings up this idea of the strong man. And the strong man is Satan. He says, and in his house, he has all these goods. But unless someone who comes, who's stronger than the strong man and binds him, will never plunder the goods. But Jesus goes, listen, I'm stronger than the strong man. And I have bound Satan, church, people of God. It is your call. It is, it is, it is what I have 
given you to go and plunder what the enemy thought was his and redeem and restore through the power and authority of the gospel. Hear me say this. The church is the people, are the people with the authority and power of Christ to set captives free to redeem, to restore, because that is what Jesus does in and through his church. But where is the power? Where is this kind of power in the church? I'm reading again, picking back up Acts as I'm I'm studying again. Where is that kind of power? They were plundering in Acts. The enemy's good, and I love it, but it also makes me sad because I don't experience that kind of power. I don't see that kind of power in the big C, capital C church. I don't see it in, in the lowercase c church all the time. At, at the Parks Church, I don't see it personally. Why not? Is it maybe because we haven't come before God recognizing our neediness, recognizing that we need him to move in power and in might like never before? Is it that we haven't recognized our loss of intimacy and presence with him? Is it that we haven't recognized our loss of joy and our loss of spiritual power is because we are not pursuing him wholly and fully with our entire lives? You see, this is Jesus. When he communicates or he talks to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, 17 and 19, he says, for you say, I am rich and I have prospered. And I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve for to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove in discipline. So be zealous and repent. You see, church, we're no different than the Laodiceans. Like, we think we're rich. We think we've prospered. We think we have need of nothing. But Jesus wants to correct us. Jesus wants to point out, listen, apart from me, you have nothing. And with me, you have everything you need. So come to me. Come to me for your riches. Come to me for your white garment. Come to me for the salve for your eyes so that you may see. Church, that's what Jesus is doing. That's what, what, what is happening in Psalm 80, that, that, that we are being beckoned back to Christ to have a zealousness, a desire, and to turn. That's what it's saying in Revelation 3 in church. We are in no different of a position. And so our prayer is the refrain that is being sang four times in this. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Turn us again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see us. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You see, the face of the Lord is looking to shine upon us, church. It is not a lack of desire or willingness from our Lord to look upon us, to revive us, to awaken us, to renew us. It's not a lack of willingness. It's maybe more a lack of wanting. Do we really desire this? You see, verse 18, and here's where we'll close. It says, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. 
You see, what precedes our calling is the gift of life. You see, how do we know the Lord is true to this? Because of Jesus, that he has given us the way, the truth, and the life in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, that we can be confident that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us, that he is faithful to meet us right where we are as we humble ourselves, as we call upon him, as we seek his face, we will find him. Renewal, revival, awakening, Church, why, why not now? Why, why not us? Why not here? Why not God pouring out his presence upon the Park Church in a new way? In our families, in our households, right? W- what if, just, just dream with me a little bit, what if the next great move of God here in, in our area, in McKinney, at the Park Church, is centered, and the epicenter of it is our homes, Right? It's on our couches, it's around tables, it's on our, our back porches or front porches, right? It's in our backyards where we are seeking, diligently seeking the presence of God. Listen, with this shared practice, I, I want you to get together to worship with, with, with a small group on Sundays. But I want to take it even one step further, that you would get together with a people, understanding your neediness and stirring up desperation to see and know God more, that you would get together with a group of people and your number one goal and the number one thing you would do, bring the kids along, is to pray and to seek God and to ask him to move in your hearts, in your lives collectively, and in our church. Right? You say, well, I, Kyle, I, 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 don't know, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't even know the first thing to like, start. Start by talking to God. Literally, if you don't know what to do, open the Psalms and just begin to, to speak out and pray out the Psalms. Go, go to Paul's letters. Look at some of Paul's prayers. And you just pray those earnestly. Right? God's not looking at you going, man, that was kind of clunky. That's kind of, you know, I, when, you, when you get this right, that's, that's when I'll meet with you. No, he knows your honest heart and honesty as we draw near. That will cause the Lord, that, that, that will bring his active presence into our midst and we will see him and we'll experience him uniquely than we ever have potentially before. But the realist comes out in me and I know many of you will hear this and you'll go, man, that's a really good idea and you won't do it. And, and I, I hate that. But there are some of you who will. There are some of you who are watching this, who are serious, who are hungry, who are even at the place like these guys were in Psalm 80, where they're going, Lord, we need you. I feel as if your presence is distant. I I feel as if I've lost my joy. I feel as if just the the spiritual power in terms of a witness for your glory and the effectiveness of who I am in in the kingdom of God just isn't there. Lord, I need more of you. Some of you are serious about that. Some of you are feeling that. Some of you are hungry for more of the Lord and you're going to do this. And let me tell you, it is going to change the landscape of our church, of your family, and of this community. There's so little pleading for God. And maybe it's because we, we don't want the fullness of God. We just, we just want enough of him. We just want enough of him to keep us from, from hell. We want just enough of him where we're a good dad or we're, we're a good father or a good mother or a good you know, employee. All of those things are right. But we just want enough of God. Listen, I want, we want as a church, the fullness of God. Let's begin to pray that way. 
let's begin to lament and see our neediness and pray and seek an awakening that God might shake our spiritual sloth. Can we do that? Can we do that and see where God takes us and leads us this week? This week. Let's pray, church. Father, I love you. And I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your spirit that draws us, that convicts us, that leads us to these places where we are desperate for more of you, where you reveal in your grace and mercy our neediness. God, we need you. Restore us. Turn us back again to you so that we might not just know things about you, but we might know things about you and experience the things that we know about you. Oh God, only you can do this. We can't manufacture this. We can't manipulate you to to, to manifest yourself. But you said if we draw near, you'll be right there. And so, Lord, I pray even as our faith family draws near to you this week with a hunger and a pursuit, I pray that you might meet us there in those moments in a uniquely powerful and profound way, that your presence would be real, that you'd restore our joy, that you would restore the, the, the spiritual uh, power and hunger and appetite and witness that, that you have called your church to be to all peoples. Lord, wake us up. Give us a zeal. Draw us to a place of confession and repentance for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Church, I love you, and we'll see you next Sunday at the family reunion. Or not, we'll see you right back here.